Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cecilia Mitwash. And we are your hosts. Today we'll be speaking with researcher, patient advocate, and patient Bernd Arendt on the subject of patient advocacy. The main challenge is to get that place at the table. And in some places it's easier. For instance, like we have a very, very good uh, relationship with, with the Dutch uh, uh, Dermatology Society. But for instance, when it's about politics, it's much more difficult. We'll come back to that in a moment. But first, face-to-face courses are back. Specialists, residents and now nurses all have the possibility to attend EADV organized courses. We are looking forward to meeting you in some of the most beautiful cities in Europe. To see what's coming up next, go to eadv.org and check under face-to-face education. And if you're not an EADV member, have you thought about becoming one? Benefit from access to on-demand webcasts, online courses, 17 medical journals, including EADV's esteemed JDV, over 20 textbooks, reduced fees for congresses and symposia, and much, much more. Just go to eadv.org under membership for more information. And now... Berndt Arendt has been active as a volunteer for the Dutch Association of People with Atopic Dermatitis for over 25 years, with seven of those years as president of the board. He's also had severe atopic dermatitis since birth. His drive is to bring the patient perspective at every level possible and contribute to research. In that capacity, he is involved in guidelines and journal publications, he peer reviews also for the JEADV, and is part of research projects. He's also one of the two patient editors for the British Journal of Dermatology. Researcher, patient advocate, and patient, Mr. Arendt, thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very honored to be on this podcast. Let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with patient advocacy? I'm working for the Dutch Association for People with Atopic Dermatitis because that's my main illness. And um, it was founded in 1994. And I've been a member since 96, and I've been active in my association for almost 25 years in a, v- a variety of roles. I've also been on, uh, a president on the board for seven years. But the last 20 years, I've been uh, evolving myself in patient advocacy. And what does it mean, actually, is that, um, of course, as a patient association, you are also have a duty towards your members and informing people with atopic dermatitis how to lead the best life possible, what's available, uh, sharing stories, etc. But patient advocacy is more outward bound, which means that you reach out to other organizations who are important in the field of healthcare. And um, it started in 2002 when the Dutch Society for Dermatologists uh, were developing a new guideline for atopic dermatitis. And the, and the chair, um, she said, uh, we also want three patients from your organization on the, on, the, on the guideline group because the voice of the patients need to be incorporated in a guideline as well. It's very innovative then in 2002. Now it's more mainstream, but that's, that's where it started. And so part of your role is to liaise with a number of different groups, I can imagine. We may liaisons with the Dermatologist Society, but also with university medical centers uh, because they mm-hmm. are also doing research. And um, we're also liaising with uh, Dutch patient organizations, for instance, an umbrella organization 
that's called uh, Skin Netherlands, but also the Patient Federation Netherlands, which is more even broader. But I also do it on an international level. So in Europe, that is EFA, the European Federation for Allergy and Airway Diseases, and uh, and also on a global scale with Global Skin, which is an umbrella organization of patient organizations for all dermatological diseases worldwide. So what what you, what you basically do in patient advocacy is um, form the network with uh, within our own organization. And uh, mm-hmm. and with all the organizations outside uh, your patient organizations that are somehow involved in research or dissemination or publishing or research or maybe reimbursement or politics, and what what you want to do, and that's my ultimate goal, is that the patient is always sitting at the same table as the other people. It's like um, I think the slogan was, "Nothing about us without us." That is really well put. Now, what is a day in the life of a patient advocate? Oh, it's very exciting because there are some things that are uh, recurring. For instance, I'm I'm contributing to our member magazine, which is every three months. Um, I am on patient advisory boards of some research projects. So that means a couple of meetings a year of, uh, of, of those projects. There are also things which are more uh, on an ad-, ad hoc basis, you know, that you, that you can't plan, for instance, when there are new medications uh, approved for atopic dermatitis, and there's been a surge recently, finally, and very good for the patients. But that means that together with the Dermatological Society, uh, we make a statement on how it should be used and in which situations it should be used and under what conditions, because they're rather expensive medications, so you need to... Um, you know, really uh, have a good uh, reasoning why you should uh, should use it, and we do it always close together with uh, uh, with the Dutch Society of uh, Dermatologists. So, for instance, today there is a, a a paper comes in that is about a new medication that has just been approved by the European Medicines Authority. And we have to come up with a joint statement on how to put this into practice. And so, what do you see as the main challenge in patient advocacy? Um, the main challenge is to get that place at the table. And in some places it's easier. For instance, like we have a very, very good uh, relationship with, with the Dutch uh, uh, Dermatology Society. But for instance, when it's about politics, it's much more difficult to, to get a seat at the table and, um, and bring across the burden of atopic dermatitis and what we need to change uh, in our system in the Netherlands. I don't know how it is in Europe, but in the Netherlands, we have quite some shortage of uh, medicines and also quite some shortages of ointments and creams for people with dermatological diseases, which is really a problem because you can't just switch from one to another. And uh, it's very difficult to ensure a seat at the table with the Minister of Health or uh, political parties who are setting the the agenda. So um, the main challenge is get invited to sit at the table and then talk. Because as soon as a patient is, uh, is joining the conversation, it is always a different conversation. Indeed. Now, we talked a little bit about what you actually do, but how would you define success in patient advocacy? I think one part of success is what I already mentioned, is what was a key challenge, that's getting, getting to sit there at the table. And the second one, if you see that patient voice incorporated in the deliverables of that organization. For instance, like I say, if it's a guideline that I can see that what we are 
to the table or at the table is actually in there. Well, and sometimes you can even get a spotlight on on patients. And you spoke at the EADV Congress in Paris in 2018. That is, that is really, really very gratifying to be able to do two sessions with a room full of people who are actually, on a day-to-day basis, are caring for people with atomic dermatitis to bring our message across. You know, that's also something that I, th- I thought was very, very successful and very important. It is indeed, yeah. And now uh, we would like to talk about patient voice in scientific publishing. Can you tell us about your role as a patient associate editor of the British Journal of Dermatology? From every issue, there is a, for the, the important uh, articles, there is a plain language summary that can be understood by the lay audience. And um, they're published online. They're also disseminated online. So people with psoriasis or eczema or uh, all kinds of dermatological diseases can see what is done, um, what research is done, uh, and, what, and what the results were. And um, this is very important so that they know that research is done, that they know what the outcomes of that research were, and that they understand, because it can also give them sometimes hope, you know. Um, a, lot, a lot of dermatological diseases are, are chronic and, uh, and debilitating, so it's important to have those plain language summaries. Now, what do I do is, I, for every issue, I check them. They are already proved, and I'm, I'm doing the, the last check. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, um, what I also try to do is do the dis- dissemination to other patient organizations. So when I started, I linked up with all patients' organizations in dermatology and say, well, uh, we have a section uh, on plain language summaries. And uh, if you want that, you can use it as a trusted resource for your organization. So the ADV has launched a new open access journal the JADV Clinical Practice. This is a patient-centered journal, and as such, in the hearts of its mission is amplifying the patient voice concerning the experience of living with skin and or venereal diseases, as well as providing reliable and understandable health information. In our Patients' Corner, we are welcoming patient and caregiver testimonials, patient information leaflets, and patient advocacy and thought leadership pieces. And after wow. this information, <laughs> now I'm going to move to the question. Yeah, yeah well, it's great. It sounds great, yes. Uh, what do you consider the most important principles of a patient-centered journal? That it's really patient-centered. It's also very important that um, you get patients on board. Um, you know, that's, I mean, patient participation is, is, is a very, very wide concept because it is very important on a simpler level, like asking a patient individually how he's living with the disease, which is one aspect. It's also very important that you have patients who are a bit more experienced and knowledge and know a bit more about research and what, what it means. What is your most important advice concerning involving patients into the scientific publishing? Don't be scared. Um, if you think as a patient you have something to say, say it. Yeah, I think that that's most important. And sometimes you can do more. Or you need maybe a support structure to help people. Like, like I said, what we're doing at the BGG now maybe is maybe help some people with pieces. Because normally online publishing as, as, or publishing in a medical journal, you know, you, you go to Manuscript Central or some online service and you do your thing there and then you get results back. It's very anonymous. It's very 
business-like mm -hmm. and maybe in patients because if it's about their lives it, there is also emotion involved so maybe you need to find an, some way to uh, facilitate the process in an other way than it's done for scholars but I'm 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 not sure myself yet. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Now, your work in advocacy and, and with the British Journal of Dermatology, these, these come down to something personal for you. You yourself have lived with atopic dermatitis. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your story? When and, and how were you diagnosed? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very logical question because, um, you know, many people sometimes in their life, some point in their life, uh, have to deal with uh, symptoms, signs and symptoms, and uh, subsequently a diagnosis and a treatment. But the thing is, with atopic dermatitis, is that it starts very young. I mean, 80% of the children who get it, get it before the age of one years old. So we don't know. So uh, we learn from our parents, uh, maybe how it was. I mean, from, from my parents, how it was. I was born in 1964. There was hardly any corticosteroids on the market, only tar. And uh, that was it. And it was a mess. That's what I know. But I don't re recollect anything. So um, if you ask people with atopic dermatitis, like um, many would get diagnosed, or how, how for another, another question could be, how did it influence your life? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's like asking me, I mean, my eyes are blue. It's like, how, do, how is it to live with blue eyes? I don't know otherwise. Mm -hmm. it's, it's innate, you know, it's part of me. It's, it's not only the eczema, but also the dry skin, the allergies. I don't know otherwise. It always has been so. Of course, in some episode, uh, some periods in your life, it's more prominent or more difficult to treat. Sometimes it's, it's going better and uh, it's, it, it, it's, it doesn't need uh, so much attention. But it's not only having the disease, which is visible and therefore has um, societal consequences, you know, in, in, at school or at work or being teased or being ashamed or don't want to go to swim or I can now I, I can there are many aspects of that but there's also the internal as aspects you know when you grow up with it and uh it's maybe that you are from a young age feeling different from other people you know I have uh, eczema and and also eczema is not like taking one pill a day well it can be now but maybe not totally um, it's two, two, two or three times a day applying ointments from top to toe, not being able to shower and bathe as anyone else would do it. Um, you have to avoid allergens. A lot of them also have food allergies, pollen allergies, uh, animal allergies. Uh, some have asthma as well. And you know, it's, it's, it's an atopic disease. We call it the atopic triad, you know, the allergies, the asthma, and the uh, atopic dermatitis. And... Um, it has therefore a big influence in our life, but we wouldn't know what it would be like if we hadn't had it. So it is just there. Now we know doctors dedicate their lives to helping patients, us. Um, but from the patient perspective, uh, it's easy to see that and to drive the point home that um, doctors have patients, but they don't live with these diseases at home. And maybe they don't know the full impact no. of living with skin diseases. Uh, doctor's visits are very fast. Uh -huh. Is there anything you'd like to tell the doctors listening right now? Uh, what you think patients would like to say? Yeah, I think you're, you're completely right. Um, 
uh, about that a doctor should take time. Um, I wrote an editorial in uh, the British Journal of Dermatology, or a commentary, I think. It's, it's called, It Takes Time to Do No Harm. You know, the problem with uh, eczema is that it takes time to explain what it is, what to avoid, uh, how the treatment is with the different ointments, and you have different strength of topical corticosteroids, and you can't do that in five or, or seven minutes. Right. Um, because we have it since we were uh, a baby, um, in the early, when, when the ch child is still young, the focus is very much on the parents and their quality of life because the children are sleeping even worse than normal children and they need all, all, all the care, the daily care. So the focus is more there. So you need to be very in, in tune with the, with the parents. Then the child has to go to school and be able to educate him or herself uh, and not being distracted by itch. When, uh, when you are more an adolescent and, and, and social circumstances are playing more a role, or maybe even intimacy or sexuality, maybe other aspects are important. When you are studying, maybe you want to be able to concentrate really well and have also a nice student life. When you go working, you, you want to be good and get promoted as well. So in every phase of an adult's life, the need can be different. So it is very important that the that the doctor, the treating doctor says, why are you consulting me at this moment? And what are, at this moment, the most important goals? For um, a boy of 13, it can be, or a girl of uh, 13, it can be, I want to play football. Right. And, and now my eczema is, is, is hindering me. And, and I'm, uh, you know, if, or if I, I, want, I want to do better at school. I want to be able to concentrate. And, or I want to sleep better. If you are positioning that treatment within the goal, intrinsic goals of the patient, mm -hmm. it's also, it's not, not only going to be more implied, but it's going to be more easy for that person in his life. Because if the doctor prescribes an ointment that doesn't feel right on the skin, they won't use it. Right, exactly. For our last question, we, we want to go back to the patient community right now. What do you see are their unmet needs? In general, that there, there are, are, are a couple. One, I think, is that you receive the care, like I explained, you know, in the, the time gets into the intrinsic motivation of the patient on their goals for treatment in a shared decision-making process, so you, you have that optimized. Another thing is, is that in all the countries, all the treatments that are approved for topical dermatitis are also available, which is not the case. Uh, I mean, and it's quite understandable because some uh, some new treatments are quite expensive. Um, I'm coming from the, from the Netherlands. We're very lucky. Some other countries not. It's, it's some of the, those medicines on the so it should be available. It should be affordable. And the other thing is the perception of the general audience. I remember, I did that, that that research in Europe with the uh, highly esteemed and renowned professor, uh, professor Johannes Ring, the editor in chief of the GDV. I had the honor to work with him. We did this, this research in, in Europe. And he said, the misconception is that atopic eczema is a mild children's disease. And uh, that's indeed the key point. I mean, it is true because about 75% of the children have mild eczema and this is, you can see it in their elbows and, and in, in the, the knee, uh, knee folds, etc. And they grow, they grow, grow out of it. But there is a portion that has it uh, to a large extent, 
and very difficult to treat. And those are the people who are also excellent at hiding it. You can see them, you can spot them when they have wear long sleeves in summer. And of course, we're not going to do the swimming pool. So um, it's, it's, it's a bit invisible. It's, it's, a, it's an invisible suffering, actually. But the main thing is that in the, the general audience is not aware. And I think also that the public sector, like, pol like politics, the politicians and uh, government, that there is a group that is, uh, that is suffering in silence and they are not seen and heard enough. Mr. Arns, I don't think you could have summarized that any better. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to be here. And I think it's incredible that you invited a patient and a patient advocate. So our side of the story is, uh, is heard. As you can um, hear from what I had to say is that that is the most important, that we as patients are being heard. So thank you very much for the opportunity. It was really a pleasure talking to both of you. And uh, I hope it is uh, informational for all the people who are listening. Thank you very much. Again, such an important subject. We are lucky at the Dermatology Podcast to get such great guests. And of course, the audience. We are lucky to have such great listeners, and we will continue to provide you information that informs and inspires you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode. Take care of your skin. <laughs>